When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show, a rare, rare in-person edition live from Casa de Wasserman. Ari's here. Chris Vanini's here. We have been eating barbecue, watching college football. Cannot imagine a better Saturday if you are anyone except for Scott Frost. But I did want to say, Ari, happy Brett Bielema Day. Chris, happy Brett Bielema Day, because every day is Brett Bielema Day. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, thank both of you for coming over and, and being in my home. I hope Andy got a, a nice, solid look at that backyard, because I hope by the time uh, this football season's over, he will have mowed it at least one time. Oh, uh, that's right. That's right. I'm, I'm going to be your <laughs> butler for, for some bet that I lose, though. So, uh, we are currently watching UCLA destroy Hawaii right now. Hawaii on the verge of scoring. It's 44-3. to three. If Hawaii comes back, I promise we'll re-record the podcast. But I am still not the least bit worried about our bet for next week where I have given you 15 points with Hawaii, I'm sorry, with UCLA against LSU. Uh, The loser of that bet has to take the Will Levis challenge, which is eat a banana, peel and all. Uh, I still think LSU is going to be just fine. Uh, I don't know how to break this, everybody. Hawaii may not be very good. Yeah, that's the way I'm looking at it, too. We we started recording this podcast uh, midway through the third quarter of the Hawaii-UCLA game because UCLA is too good, too big, too strong, too fast, and too damn talented <laughs> to even continue watching the end of that football game. You think LSU is going to walk into Pasadena next week and, and win by more than 15? You're insane. Look at this team. It's a, it's a team full of Greek gods. They actually do look very good. It's just that when you see them compared to the LSU players next week, they're going to look very different. So that's going to be all right. We have another game we need to talk about, though, and that is the, the first one. Nebraska, Illinois, 30 to 22. By the way, the total on this game was 52 and a half. By the way, Nebraska missed two, two PATs. Uh, there is There was so much with this, but the main thrust of it is we now have many, many multiple message board posts positing replacements for Scott Frost at Nebraska because I know it's one game in and I know we, we always overreact, but this really feels like there's no chance he succeeds there. I just want to say uh, one thing before we go into this game a little bit further. The Nebraska-Illinois game had the following. A safety, an -hmm. illegal forward pass on a punt return that didn't end up counting at the end, but was one of the most insane things. Spectacular, though. Because the forward pass was going to nobody. It was a a question from a referee's exam, is what it was. This will never happen in a game, so let's throw this at him. Two missed extra points. A coach not knowing or forgetting what down it was in a crucial uh, come-from-behind situation. Oh, the quarterback sneak on first and goal? A 75-yard touchdown run, a scoop and score, a snag from over, uh, or a snap that went over the quarterback's head, and a team trying to overcome a 21-point deficit. Um, And that game's total, uh, as you guys pointed out, was 52-and-a-half, and it missed by a half a point. Uh, because of two missed extra points. And if I don't like, what else can you get from a college football game? I, I, that, that's all I need to see. 
Yeah, the NFL and college football both have a lot of bad football, but bad college football. There's nothing like it. It's so much better than yeah. bad NFL football, yeah. yes. I think bad college football is the best version of college football. And if we're being completely honest, I think 90% of the sport is bad college football. I think you're probably right. But it this is here's the thing, and this is the part that I think Nebraska fans understand because they're a very savvy fan base, and it, it's what makes them feel even worse because you hear Scott Frost after the game saying, I know this team is better. I know we have better players than we had before. It just feels like the same movie over and over again, but I know we'll get that spark, and, and eventually this can be a special season. And Nebraska fans are looking at it going, no, no, no. If you can't beat that Illinois team, what are you going to do when you're playing Ohio State? Well, you have no shot. But what are you going to do when you're playing Wisconsin? What are you going to do when you're playing Northwestern? What are you going to do when you're playing Michigan State? Because that Illinois team, what are they going to go? Five and seven? Something like that. I mean, if, if Illinois can move the ball on the ground like they did at various times, just imagine what Iowa and Wisconsin and everybody else is going to do. It's, it's just not good. Now, we, we have been reading a little bit of the message boards. Uh, I think if you, you look at some of the, the threads, uh, I think Ari and I's particularly, particular favorite thread just started with the words hog fan here. <laughs> Didn't even need to click on it. Didn't even need to click on it to know that that was the perfect, uh, the perfect thread. But, you know, I, I think that we just discovered a few uh, Twitter um, accounts that are, are highlighting some of these terrible uh, threads. But my, I like uh, hog fan here. I'm out. Uh, my condolences from Ohio uh, was going to say I would not come to Lincoln. Uh, Frost needs to be ASAP. I don't know what that means, but he needs to be something ASAP. Um, and, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. So uh, some of these things are, are are very typical from a normal fan base, but I think that you're also reading a message board or message boards from a fan base that is just basically at the end of its rope. And, you know, the thing that I thought was interesting, Andy uh, and Chris, was – when we started talking about where, because we were talking about the Illinois game a few weeks ago, and when we were talking about that game, and we were thinking, what is this going to mean for the Frost era? You know, we we put it out there and said, hey, this is going to define a lot of things. And I saw a lot of pushback um, from Nebraska fans saying, who thinks that Scott Frost is on the hot seat? This is a media-created thing. Well, that, that was two days before the NCAA investigation came out Yeah, when we, but, we did that podcast. But even if you take the NCAA thing out of it, um, which I think you could do because if they won today handily or they bounced back Right. I, I way, think you can take it out too because all, all the NCAA investigation does is potentially lower the buyout. doesn't eliminate it. You're going to have to settle with him. You, you, you try to fire him for free, you're going to get sued. But – it potentially lowers the buyout, but it doesn't change whether he would have been fired or not after this season. Like great season, he's fine. Terrible season, he's fired. And people were so kind of blindsided, or it seemed to be blindsided by the idea that you could even talk about uh, a hot seat situation when it came to Scott Frost. And it's like now I'm looking at the message boards and on Twitter, and I know that we have to be careful about letting the loud minority speak for the uh, quiet majority. I think the quiet majority uh, is, is speaking I right think now, too. The quiet majority is speaking now, too. I think that it's one thing to say, hey, we don't want to get carried away with a result uh, because it's one result. We joke a lot about overreacting early on in seasons. But, I mean, I don't understand. I don't think there is an overreaction to what game we just watched. And, and this is Illinois two years in a row. Right. Adrian, With two different coaches. And, oh, by the way, 
You knocked their starting quarterback out today. Yes. You lost to their backup. You lost to the guy who lost his job at Rutgers to the guy who left you. And he was, what, 14 for 15 at some point? I don't remember what he finished. Yeah, Sikowski had a good good start to the game. And, and not because he was that great. It was they put him in good situations. They Illinois' coaching staff put him in situations that allowed him to be successful. Yes. At what point is Nebraska's coaching staff going to put its quarterback in situations where he can be successful? And, and one of those situations could be if this particular quarterback can't be successful – then put a different one in. Yeah, and that was the first game of the Brett Bielema, Tony Peterson era. We've seen this from Scott Frost and, and, and Adrian Martinez for years now. And, you know, Scott Frost said he didn't want to transfer quarterback. He was all in on Adrian Martinez, who uh, had some big runs and some things, but otherwise it was running for his life quite a bit. But otherwise it was kind of a mess. Yeah, and when you look at, like, the idea of just uh, wins and losses, this is something that I try to communicate to is it's not so much – about just losing a close game or losing a game. It's the entire aura of dysfunction that you see when watching the game. I mean, it's like everything that could go wrong went wrong. You have a a punt returner and and we all like to joke about it and it's fun during the game. But when you're trying to analyze a coach and how they're doing, you know, you have a a punt returner who's fielding a punt for no reason at all because he shouldn't even ever try to shouldn't be trying to catch a ball going backward toward the goal line like that that. person went into the end zone and then as he was going down, put his arm back to meet, to put the ball back even further behind the end zone, then threw it forward to nobody. You know, that's uh, just maybe a boneheaded play and whatever. But, you know, you're forgetting downs. Uh, you're having a quarterback continue. I don't play. think they forgot the down, but, but the sneak situation was was weird because for those of us watching it on TV, the TV messed it up. They said it was fourth and one. It was a very close call on a third and short play near the goal line. And the referee gave it to them. They, they gave them the first down, but TV didn't pick on them, pick up on them giving the first down. So it said fourth and one on the, the Chiron. But if you're in the stadium, you saw him move the chains. Right. The, the coaches are not looking at the TV broadcast. Yeah, the, it, the, someone, on, someone on the headset has to be like, hey, that's a first down. Who, who is looking at the chains? They're, they're like, you have a lot of coaches on headsets in press boxes for that specific thing. You're down 14 points with less than five minutes to go after inexplicably milking the entire fourth quarter clock on a drive, um, you need to know what down it is because they had to, they had to convert their touchdown on fourth and goal uh, because they already gave away a down. I, that was a first and goal down that they gave. Here, here's just, the thing. You're, you're killing them for milking the drive. Here, I was thinking about this as it was going on. That's the only way they can move the ball. They, yeah. they don't have yeah, sure. a quick way to move the ball. So we can criticize them. But what, we, what we need to criticize them for is not developing the offense enough that when they need to score quickly, they can. They, they could only move it the one way. And if they tried something else, they would have just gone three and out. And so that in itself is a problem. Yeah, yeah. So and, and regardless of, of how you put it, too, the overall look of dysfunction is a combination of lack of preparation lack of getting the most out of the talented players that you have on that roster because Nebraska is a more talented roster than Illinois from top to bottom. And then, of course, you have the the uh, in-game decision-making and results that happen uh, circumstantially uh, that they weren't prepared for do, or, or missed out on. Do you so, think Do you think they misunder for either one of you, do you think they misunderstand their talent level there? Do you think the coaches at Nebraska have an accurate read on the talent at Nebraska. If you took if you took the 
N off of their helmet and changed their colors into something generic and you watched that team play Illinois, who would you thought that team was? Purdue? Purdue is the answer. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because they don't have the talent or because they're mismanaging that talent. Because you're, you're talking about a program that does, on average, sign a top 25 class every single year, which is infinitely better than a Purdue. Because they're, they're coaching it like when you see LSU play against South Carolina, basically. Like, they're coaching it like there's that big of a talent discrepancy. Yeah. And, and I mean, they, they look slow. Like, the, like yeah, Illinois, so, was eating, yeah. Illinois is beating them to the edge on outside runs, and, and for a Nebraska team that's supposed to be recruiting this kind of talent, just you just look at them, and, and at least from, from that standpoint, it's not there. Yeah, it's a, it's a very strange look, and, and it, that's why I asked the question, because I do wonder if maybe they just don't, don't grasp that they are not as talented as, as they think they are. Yeah, well, that's a good question, because the, the question was, do they – ask it again. Do you think the coaches have a good read on Nebraska's talent? So do you think – so are you asking if I think that they do feel the coaches, more talented than they are? No, no. Right, right. Do the coaches think that they have better talent than they actually have? I think that's possible. I think that um, they are misevaluating the players that they need – out of high school and believing from the get-go that they're getting something better than they're getting. And, and, and I'll, I will tell you how this compounds, not in an on-field way and not necessarily in a coaching or, or anything having to do with the players. This compounds by the way the sunshine gets blown around Nebraska during the offseason. Because Nebraska football is the biggest thing in Nebraska. It's the thing you cover. It's the thing you write about the most. It's the thing you talk about the most. And so there's all these off season stories and they're always talking about how great every recruit is and, and how this was the best strength program in the history of the world workouts that you couldn't even believe were, were possible, but it always ends up being the same thing. And the fan base, it's not their fault. They're fed this every off season and so they expect something better, and this is what they get. At, at what point do fans not believe that anymore? I, mean, Michigan, I think they're probably done now. Michigan fans don't believe that you know Jim Harbaugh is going to turn it around until they see oh, it now. This crazy point. stat that got thrown out, and I, I wish I had it up on Twitter to give the person proper credit, but Scott Frost would have to go 37-1. and one from this point forward, to match Jim Harbaugh's current record at Michigan. Yes. We, we compare these coaches and, and Tom Herman a lot, like the dream hires that aren't working, but they're not working on very different levels. Right. Tom Scott, Herman was a few points away from playing for the Big 12 title last yes, year. Yes, Jim Harbaugh was an inch away from potentially making the playoffs. Scott Frost's record doesn't even come close to Mike Riley's tenure. That's the problem. We'll be right back after these words. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
we, we talk about our, our favorite message board posts. This, this one from Jack Attack 30 mm-hmm. is probably my favorite. Uh, this is basically who Jack Attack 30 would be going out. A lot of the Nebraska fan base has already turned the page and is just trying to find Scott Frost's replacement. Uh, see if Luke Fickle or Matt Campbell have interest with the Big 12 losing OU in Texas. Maybe Campbell is ready to move on. Doubt it. No. Uh, well, okay. Not to Nebraska. But that's what I mean. If you're Matt Campbell, no, you, no, yeah. you might reevaluate the no, Iowa no. State Matt, job. Matt now. Campbell's yeah, not yeah. going to Nebraska. Let me ask you something. Uh, and this might I don't want to veer the conversation completely out of the out of the realm. But we were joking uh during the game, and you've said in the past, Andy, that you feel like Nebraska could have Wisconsin like results. Yes. So i I'll just say it now. It seems like the coach they could have or should have hired would be Brett Bielema based on somebody who has gotten a program or sustained that success at the program that you're comparing them to. But that's not what I want to say. I'm very curious if a person like Matt Campbell, who I think you could make the argument has better recruiting geography in Iowa than you would at Nebraska is the type of person you need to go after. Because I do kind of wonder sometimes if legacy, um, or hiring people who have played their alumni, connections, Michigan men, however you want to put it, the, the direct connection to the university is an overrated bullet point on a resume. It is highly overrated. If you, I, I, I you talk it, to our friends at Sports Source Analytics, they'll show you the numbers. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. Every year, it's something like a third of all coaches have either have been there before at some point. It, if I were Nebraska, I would do everything in my power to do any to, to find any coach who has had any semblance of success uh, at a program. That has terrible geography. You need you yes. need something. You you need a guy who knows how to sell. You need a guy who's been at a disadvantage before from a recruiting standpoint. You need Lane Kiffin. Sorry, guys, he's not coming. But we got to get back to Jack Attack's list because it's better than ours. All right, so this is an interesting one, and I, I like that he's giving this job to this guy before he's even called a play. But I appreciate I appreciate the hustle. Now he's doing it because the guy's a Nebraska alum, Jake Peets. We know who he is. I'm not sure the average college football fan knows who he is. He's he is LSU's first year offensive coordinator. He is going to lead LSU to piles of points and force Ari to eat a banana peel and all next week. That's who Jake Peets is. He he was with the Carolina <laughs> Panthers and Joe Brady last year. Uh, that's that's one candidate. Next candidate, Zach Taylor, the Cincinnati Bengals head coach, an NFL head coach, an NFL is sitting in. Well, Look, it's the NFL. They get fired all the time. What about Bill Belichick while we're on? <laughs> Why don't we add ne- next next one? <laughs> There's a bill, and the, the next one's a bill. Billy Napier from Louisiana. Billy Napier, who turned down South Carolina and Auburn. Billy Napier. <laughs> Billy Napier would be a great hire. Billy Napier uh, will get an SEC job. When turned he- down South Carolina and may have may have turned down Auburn. We're not sure about that. But, but um, turned down South Carolina. Yeah. I, I love these lists. I, I guess we're making them now. Wait, wait. Uh, it gets better. Yeah, keep going. Next one, Tom Herman. <laughs> Here's the thing. Wait, one more. <laughs> Will Muschamp. That's oh. Jack Attack's last one, last guy. Here, here's the thing with Herman, though. Like, it wasn't a disaster at Texas. No, it wasn't. It was a top 25 and, team. And I will defend the choice of Will Muschamp. You know who else was? You know who else was a good hire? You know, three years ago, we all said Scott who, Frost. Yep. Uh, oh, and and you're right. You're you're absolutely right. There. You can't do the revisionist thing and say, well, I knew all along he would. No, you didn't. There I sure didn't. An epidemic of coaches being recycled in, in football in general. 
Well, and here, I would just go get somebody new. Okay. Here, here's, here's my here's my pitch for Will Muschamp though. Will Muschamp can recruit, and he can recruit in Florida and Georgia and all that. Let just tell Will Muschamp get the most talented players who can't get in to any of those other schools, and say Nebraska, you know, let them in. You want to know what the craziest thing of this is? Um, Nebraska's recruiting coordinator is a man named Sean Dillon. And Sean Dillon is like a super bright, uh, personable guy um, who helped build Oregon. So, like, he was a part of a staff that had uh, geographical challenges, you know, and they and overcame them. And overcame, not only just overcame them, but like excelled in a way that few programs have done in the modern era of college football. And I and I just feel like I feel bad because I know if you're in that position and you're bright. It might not be enough. And I think it's the question is, is it Scott Frost? Is it Sean Dillon? Is it a talent evaluation? Or is it just the circumstance of the university? It's needing Lane Kiffin is what it is. It's, but yeah. you really, you got it. You got to get somebody who can sell. I, I've kind of turned on the, the whole idea of what was so Bielema being the guy. Like, I'm not sure Bielema would be the right guy for that job. That's that's it. How, how many guys even are there? I mean, I, I look at a, a guy I think would have been good for the job is a guy who. Maybe could have waited for, but instead took the Kansas job. Lance Leipold. Lance and I, at my initial, when you said that before we started recording, I was like, no, no, he can't. He's, he's not, gonna, not a salesman. He's, he's a not. builder type. And I, I, I need somebody who can go get some dudes from some places that, that are very far from Nebraska and not just any old dudes from places far from dudes that other people want. And they need to come to Nebraska because if you if you build if you put a, a really talented team there, like if you put, how, how talented? I mean, if you put we're, Mississippi we're, State level talent at Nebraska, you can compete for the for the for the Big Ten West every year. But can you get them to Nebraska? That's the problem. That's the question. Can anybody get them yeah. to Nebraska? And and I know people are going to go look at the recruiting rankings and say, well, they they already have that. They already have Mississippi State level time. I can tell you right now. Are you looking at me yeah, <laughs> opening it yeah, up right? Is that what yeah, you were doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can, I can yeah. tell you right now, I just watched Nebraska play. I've watched Mississippi State play. Mississippi State. They State's, don't. It, by the way, <laughs> the Bible has been presented to us from the heavens above. Yeah. Because the 2021. Uh, oh, uh, the, the talent yeah, index is out. Out. Yeah. Look so at, look it, at that. Wait for this. It's really funny that you said that because Mississippi State is 29 and Nebraska is 28. Okay. <laughs> Mississippi State's two corners are going to be top three round picks in the NFL. Yes. Like, I think Nebraska didn't have anybody like that. That's where it, that's yeah. what it comes down to evaluation from your coaches. It, it's not just selling and getting guys there. It's knowing who the right guys are. Um, just remind me before this podcast is over with, I want to, cause I'm uh, Chris and I are sitting on the other end of the room from Andy. I want Andy to guess the top 10 of the talent. Oh yes, absolutely. That's that'll be a fun. fun game, but, uh, but we, we need to describe the geography of this room. I'm sitting in this lovely chair, a uh, leather chair that, that, Ari's fiance, Britt, picked out, and she, she has impeccable taste. I know. By the way, I saw the room with the throw pillows in, in question. <laughs> it is beautifully appointed. Beautifully. Nobody ever, nobody ever said that it wasn't beautiful to look <laughs> Those at. Those pillows are not that hard to set up. You got your two that you use, then you have your two with the shams, and then three decoratives, and then one in the one in the front. Before, it's no, it's not a big deal. We'll, just seven pillows. Yeah, that's we'll show the bedroom before you. He hasn't been in the bedroom yet. Um but the, the question, too, is that it's not so much from when we're talking about talent is, is Nebraska 
getting across the board a pretty talented roster? Absolutely. The thing you want to know what I really think is missing when I watch Nebraska play, and it's something that Mississippi State has. So when you make that comment, it makes sense, even though they're close together in the team composite rankings. They don't have a lot of transcendent top end game breaking players. Speed. Speed, but like just somebody yeah. who can make a play. Yeah, somebody super like special. Like yeah. while they were making their comeback, and I and I think Adrian Martinez, when he was a freshman, was supposed to be that guy. Uh, who is the person that's going to step up and actually do something? And even when they were down by, um, you know, a minute uh, or down by seven with a minute left in the ball, you know, one of the threads on the wonderful 247 Nebraska site was where are all our fast. Re- I don't know that you have them were all the fast receivers. Yeah. There was nobody there that I felt comfortable enough to be like, hey, that person's going to make a play when they need it. Really? And- yeah, receivers can't get open. I mean, Adrian Martinez was running for his life. Part of that was on the offensive line, but part of that was that guys weren't getting open. Well, and, and Illinois was not throwing anything particularly exotic at them. Uh, Scott Frost did say they, they misjudged what Illinois' front was going to look like in terms of defending the run, but there wasn't anything particularly exotic Illinois was doing. It was a case of there either wasn't anybody open or Martinez wasn't getting rid of the ball fast enough, which you can probably blame either party a little bit, but you're right. There, there wasn't... The, the, the one touchdown that they had to the tight end, both guys were open because it was blown coverage. But I can't really recall any other plays other than the the one down the left sideline that got called, called back, back for OPI because of the rub. Yeah. So, that yeah, you're right. It, nobody was winning one-on-one matchups between their receivers and Illinois secondary. And that should scare the hell out of you because, you know, Chris, your alma mater, they play them later. You, you went to Michigan State. We don't know how good Michigan State's going to be. I don't suspect they're going to be great, but I suspect they're going to have some athletes because yeah, Mel Tucker's it, been trying to get athletes. That's exactly what, what Mel Tucker has been doing. You you look at the – forget the star ranking. Look at the size of the guys he's going for. They're going for guys that are of a certain height and uh, that are of a certain speed. And you know who used to do that was Jim Harbaugh. That's how he built San Diego. Into well, one. you know who Mel Tucker got it from is – Nick Saban. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and they, 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 there's a standard in which you got to get certain guys as opposed to recruiting rankings or whatever you you judge a guy. This game comes down to physical ability, speed, and strength. And Nebraska just doesn't look like it has that. You know who does look like it has it? Illinois, UCLA, UCLA. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I, I will say UCLA looks really good running the ball. I, I, I I'm going to give. Ari, some credit on that one. Uh, I don't think Hawaii looks very good, but I am a little little nervous about that bet next week. I think I think I gave you too many points, but I am going to pretend to be confident. Yeah, we'll we'll get back to the. Uh, does this sound like a good time for a break? Because you have a surprise ad read that you have to read right now. Oh, I do. Oh, oh my. Okay. Oh, oh. Is this uh, this is from our friends uh, that that I, I thought we agreed not to. Uh, not to retaliate on, on one another, but okay. Uh, first read, it says, read by Andy without any notice. The Duke's Mayo Classic is thrilled to be an official kickoff game partner of the Andy Staples Show. This year, the game features a delicious doubleheader with an ECU and Appalachian State playing on Thursday, September 2nd, and Clemson and Georgia facing off on Saturday, September 4th. You don't want to miss out on these twangy matchups. It'll be a <laughs> full of flavor and sponsored by the best mayonnaise on the planet. Duke's Mayo, a proud supporter of the Andy Staples Show, which, by the way, they did not pay for that ad. Somebody just sent that to you, Ari. Uh, but I already did... I probably owed them that since I tried to consume their product and vomited on the air. <laughs> uh, it was given to me uh, by our producer to give to you as a surprise. 
So I think you read it beautifully, and I think you have some other uh, uh, talking points that you have to do about mayonnaise. But I, Great. I that, that was a perfect uh, – by the way, I'm not just saying this. I could eat Duke's mayonnaise with a spoon. Like I, I find it. I, I, like I think. I think, I think we that, all know I can't. <laughs> <laughs> but now we're just getting back in, into the bets and stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that uh, UCLA will, uh, you know, win the game next week against LSU. But I do feel pretty good about uh, how physical they are. But here's the question I want to ask: are, are we not? Did I cut off Nebraska? Are we? Do we want to? If you have more to say, or if you want to add to the Will Muschamp, Tom Herman coaching candidate list, I'm I'm all ears. Okay, sorry for discombobulating it. I didn't know exactly when it would have been the perfect time to give you the Mayo ad. <laughs> but going back to Nebraska, before we go back to UCLA, are we officially on board, or is this like hot season or hot seat season now? Like, is this, or are we over, like, cause you said don't it's week, overreact. it's week, week zero. One. We're overreact. We are overreacting, but I don't think we're overreacting that much. I think, listen, they're going to beat Fordham. If they lose to Buffalo, forget it. But yeah, I think they're going to beat Buffalo. They're going to lose to Oklahoma. We know that. So look, we can reconvene the Scott Frost discussion after the Michigan state game. I feel like that's a, a realistic time right. to, to reconvene it. Cause I, I don't, they're, I think they're going to lose by a lot to Oklahoma. So if they lose by 50 to Oklahoma, it's not really going to change my opinion. And that's what we would have thought even if they won 28 to 21. Correct. And that, and that's the other thing. Winning against Illinois might have been fool's gold for them. But this sort of really tells everybody where they are. Yeah, and we know those games that got at the end of the season, the the, the Ohio States and Wisconsin, I think. And Iowa, yeah. yeah. So th- th- they have to build up some wins before they get there, and they can, but the Illinois well, was one game, and, and Michigan State is going to Well, that's, I mean, that, that's going to be the question, I, and, and I, as, as I vamp, give me another mayonnaise read to, uh, to read while I pull up the schedule. Uh, I've got the wag the, the I keep mixing up Fordham and Wagner. I keep thinking they're playing Wagner. <laughs> they're playing Fordham. Uh, for Joe Moorhead coached at Fordham. He was the head coach at he Fordham did. for a bit. Uh, okay, so we, we've mentioned that they play Buffalo, they play Oklahoma, and then at Michigan State on September September twenty third. And that's the one I'm saying. If they lose that one, uh, you you probably going to have some bad feelings about this season because all right. Fordham's a win, Buffalo's a win, Oklahoma's a loss. So you're sitting at two wins. You are now four wins from bowl eligibility, which I consider to be the bare minimum standard at this point. Michigan State, is that a win or a loss for Nebraska? I do not know what to expect from Michigan State right now. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think they're going to be contending for so the that, division. So, so that's, that's, that's a coin flip. That's one you're going to have to win, given, given the schedule. It's coin flip, but they, they have to win it. I think that's a loss. From what I saw on Saturday, that's a loss. Okay. Where, where is that game, by the way? That's in East Lansing. Okay, because yeah. Michigan State struggles in Lincoln. Then they come back to Lincoln, and they play Northwestern. You, you know, Pat Fitzgerald probably deserves the benefit of the doubt. They won the division last year. The defense should be pretty good again. We'll see how Hunter Johnson looks. But, you know, these are these are the types of coin flip games that Breast is going to They have to win these. The next one's Michigan, which Ari and I have kind of ID'd. Because that's the one after Michigan plays Wisconsin, I believe. So... We don't know where Michigan's going to be either on that at that point. Yeah, I, I think the Michigan Wisconsin game is going to be one of the most important games of the year in terms of determining the future of you know what the coach is going to be there. But if Nebraska and Michigan play the week after that game, that's another one. Man, think think about the the hot seat energy potentially going into that game if Michigan has lost to Wisconsin. 
Oh, it could be it could be the hot seat, but you're like a loser leaves town. Yeah, the last loser loser leaves town match like that with programs of that stature, and that the programs were better was the Auburn LSU game oh, that yeah. Les Miles got fired I, after. I was thinking the the Egg Bowl a couple of years ago because Gus would have been fired probably if if they lose that game and maybe a little bit more that season yeah. that was 2016 they didn't have a great year in, in 15 17 was the year that, that auburn won the sec west so that was a big big hot seat game and and less ended up getting fired but it, it kind of look you think about that they may be in a situation where they have to beat michigan minnesota and purdue yeah to make a bowl game and i don't know where minnesota is going to be I don't know where Purdue's going to be. I don't know where a lot of these Big Ten teams. Are. Yeah, that that that's the thing, and we we haven't really gotten a good look at this. But let's say Minnesota bounces back, that's not going to be an easy game. Michigan, you know, we're assuming they bounce back from last season. Either way, that's still going to be like even when Mich- even bad Michigan last season against them. You know, it, it just I don't know. I, I am I'm not confident that they can be bowl eligible. No. And, and imagine imagine if I had said somebody, to somebody at Nebraska when they hired Scott Frost, in year four, you'll be wondering if they can even make a bowl game. That's the problem. Like, what what about this program has gotten better? Like, what are you leaning on? What are what are the signs of progress? There, there are none. And all, all the things that Scott Frost mentioned in his post-game press conference that they did wrong, mistakes that they've made. He, he said this loss felt like every loss we've had. And that is the biggest, probably most damning thing yeah. about it, is if it's the same thing over and over, that's not the player's fault. Nope. That's the coach's fault. We make a lot about eye tests when we talk about the college football playoff stuff. I think that eye test is super important when it uh, you know, pertains to how you feel about a coach, the same way when Michigan... Uh, gave up at Wisconsin last year that kind of shifted the way people viewed. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think that anybody on Nebraska gave up. They looked ill-equipped to uh, ill-equipped of comp, uh, of competence. Right. And, and the thing is, and I know, look, Scott Frost has been successful as a head coach. That, that UCF season happened. He was phenomenal that season. It's very hard to go undefeated. Yeah. He was awesome. So, this is why it's hard to say this, but like Brett Bielam was the more competent head coach. And that's not really, it shouldn't be a surprise. Brett Bielam has been a head coach for a long time. It has been a while since he's been a head coach, but he was a very competent head coach at Wisconsin for the first few years at Arkansas. He was a very competent head coach. So it, it makes sense that he was better prepared to deal with the, kind of the breaks of the game, like losing your starting quarterback in the, in the, in the middle of the first half. You can tell with just, it, it feels like you can tell when things are going downhill for a coach and everything just snowballs mm-hmm. and you can't stop it. And that if that's what we felt like you missed two extra points, you get a, a safety when you're trying to throw the ball. Well, and, and the, the play that the Nebraska people probably should come back to is, is the call where the guy gets called for roughing the passer and then gets a, an additional personal foul right afterwards because yeah. it was basically a thirty-yard penalty on what should have been a Nebraska interception. Yeah. And then Illinois goes down and scores. So, but if if you're thinking that call is the difference, you're missing the entire point. Yeah, I don't know. You shouldn't yeah. even be in a close game with Illinois. No. You should be destroying Illinois if you are Nebraska. Because here's the other thing too: 
it's very possible that Illinois is a three or four win team this year. Yeah, they didn't look great by any means. They just made more plays and they handled the adversity that came their way better. Nebraska completely crumbled. I mean, every time they'd get a big play, they'd give up a sack. They'd have a bad snap. They, they, they couldn't string it together. There was no sense of confidence in, on that Nebraska sideline. Yeah, and so I, I just – there's not much else to say about this other than we'll reconvene. I, I'm sure we'll talk about it as they, as they move through the season – but I don't think there's anything substantive to say unless they lose to Buffalo. Then, which, in which case, we we go back to uh, to our guys' list and just start calling people. And be like, "Hey, you want the job? Do you want the job, Will Muschamp? Do you want the job?" Because we do think that Tom Herman's going to be a head coach in college football somewhere next year, right? I, either an OC at a super premium school or a head coach somewhere. Yeah, yes. I would think that's just the way the game works. So, you know, hey, Will Muschamp, look at Brett Bielema. Brett Bielema's on his third job. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Ari, let's let's do some talent evaluation. Let's see how well we evaluate talent. I this, this I've been waiting for this talent composite to come out. Where they they were I take it they were just waiting at 24/7 for the for the rosters to be I think finalized. So here before we get going, I looked closer after we got done uh cuz I just when we uh looked up the Mississippi State stuff, I just open it for the first time this year, which is like usually my homepage. But there are a few programs on here that only have like 73, 75, 76 players accounted for. And I don't know how complete this list is or if they're just still working through it. Um, it looks kind of correct, but I don't know. Like, for instance, Georgia is uh, has 85 uh, players, players listed. And yeah. Alabama has 76. Yeah. So, you know, if you add. But there may have just been attrition. Yeah, but I, I don't think that in Ohio State's got 75. I know they've got, I mean, there's LSU's got 73. Yeah. There's, there, there's no team. That's well, like is Quinn that. Ewers on the Ohio State list? Right. You know, and I guess I could look right now. This is good pod right here. Ari looking yeah, something up. Yeah, I guess up. so. Um, you know, I, I prematurely, why don't we just do it through the list and then next week, if it's wrong, then we'll, we'll, we'll tell them. That's hey, that's that's the way to podcast it right there. Podcast, Next week, if it's yeah. wrong, we'll just change it all. So, yeah. So what do we do? Does, does does Andy have to guess who is in the top ten or guess the order? I just want to guess the order of the top. 10. Okay. Number one is still Georgia. Yes. yes. Okay. And here's where 1980. Wait, Georgia hasn't done anything. And according to according to this, Georgia has 19 five star prospects on their roster. That is literally a quarter of a roster. Of it's, a of it's a lot more than anybody else in this list. Everybody else on this list, the second highest is eleven. Yeah. So if this is an incomplete list, then that's fine. And, and also, but, and also, Georgia doesn't play Alabama or LSU or Texas A and M in the regular season. Did you notice that you and I had identical predictions? Yes, I did. Because, like, I mean, if Georgia doesn't do it this year, then I'm never picking them to do. No, it. No, I, I agree. I agree. This is this is the clearest path they've ever had, and probably the biggest talent advantage they'll have. Over the other, I mean, if you have five more five star prospects than Bama, yeah, like, exactly. I mean, and you have a competent quarterback and a coach. That, I mean, right. This, this is it. There so. are no excuses this year yeah. for them. No okay. excuses. All right, number two, Ohio State. Nope, Bama, Bama. Okay, yes. um, Bama only, and Bama's number two with seventy six. You threw me by saying they had seventy six players. That's the only reason I thought Ohio State might be above them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's here's one more thing. The di- the difference between Georgia and Alabama is the same between two and three. Interesting. Okay. 
And so, and so Ohio State is three, I take it? Nope. No. Clemson is three, and I didn't mean to blow it. Oh, no, this no. This is making me feel like this is wrong. That's interesting that Clemson is three. Because Ohio State only – Clemson has 83 players accounted, accounted for. Accounted for. Ohio State has 75. So I, I, don't, I don't know – I think that we might have jumped the gun here a little bit. Oh no! Going, somebody, somebody hit the load button on this thing <laughs> yeah, before they were it looks done. Like to me, uh, well, uh, uh, I, I think Georgia and Alabama one two is a pretty safe assumption. But uh, before we just go could Alabama this, jump Georgia if there's a few players missing? I mean, it doesn't look like it. Okay, it's a pretty big gap. No, there's nine. They're not according to this. Uh, they're nine below Alabama's nine scholarships below Auburn. I mean, uh, Georgia for the number one spot and Georgia has eight more five-star prospects. So, okay. So they're probably not jumping. Okay. That, but, but that's interesting because it, I I get why people like to make fun of Georgia and say they haven't done anything. But the fact of the matter is they've won three of the last four SEC's championships. They did win the SEC in, in 2017 and played for a national title. Like, They've been right there. Last year was the farthest they've been, and that's Florida's best team of that era that beat them when they were starting a former walk-on and completely nicked up on defense. I it's they've almost they've built such a prohibitive advantage in the SEC East that you got to have them in there every year. They have a playoff win. Oklahoma doesn't have it. I know. This is not that, the same thing. I, that was my favorite thing on Twitter when I when I mentioned you know. Because people were wondering why Georgia got to sit at the Mean Girls table from the last podcast, right. and some Oklahoma fan said, "What has Georgia done?" I said, "Has one more playoff win than Oklahoma, and it was against Oklahoma. It was in overtime, but it was still it's a win." Yeah. Also, the Mean Girls table. I guess the way I viewed it was the Mean Girls table of how you're recruiting, um, and I think obviously how you're recruiting it goes hand in hand with how you're performing, um, and those are the top five performing programs especially if they've been in a national championship game more recently, obviously, than Oklahoma. Uh, well, so. and that, that's the, the, Florida, the Florida fans get on Georgia all the time because Florida's got three national titles since Georgia's last national title. So they, they have every right to crow about that. But if we want to talk about recent, you know, Florida hasn't been in the SEC championship or they've been in the SEC championship game, but they haven't won the SEC since 2008. And Georgia won it in 2017. And Ari's got... Fast and the Furious going on outside his house. This is not. Uh, I live my life a quarter mile at a time. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know what that was, uh, but yeah. So it, it, we're. Did, did you, we, but Andy was making fun of me for saying that Georgia is going to exceed expectations. Well, they're not. They're going to meet them yeah, if they win the national title. Yes, they're going to meet them. That's that, that's what it is. <laughs> you, they can't exceed them because they're expected to win the national title now. I don't think very many people expect them to win the national I do. Title. I think I think, I do. I think Mark Richt was fired and Kirby Smart was hired expressly for them to win the national title. That is the entire point of the enterprise at Georgia. Yeah, we, we, we there was some our colleague David Upin put it pointed it out on on Twitter released in Nebraska where you fire a coach who's winning decently because you think you should do better. It almost never works out. One place it has is Georgia because Georgia has all the... And immediately events. people are like, what, what have they done? <laughs> yes, they've won the SEC and played for the national championship and nearly won it, too. And have also squandered more talent than any program. Absolutely. And, and, and deserve the criticism they get for, for what happened with Justin Fields and, and for not... Like, the 2018 SEC championship game... There's, you can't make excuses for that. No. They should have won that. They should have been in the playoff that year. That's their fault. It's also just part of the equation, too. And it's easy to say squandered, but 
you know, college football is about circumstance and, and Georgia's circumstance is not ideal for winning a national championship right now based on who's standing in their way. And I think you could say the same thing about Texas A&M. If you put Texas A&M in the, in the coastal division of the oh, ACC, yeah. you would think they were going to win the national championship maybe this year or compete for it. And like now Texas A&M is what the third or fourth, uh, SEC team that comes to mind when you think about winning it all. And it's like, it's not because Texas A&M isn't built really well, especially now a year removed from last year. I mean, they, they've really, so all right, let, let me give you this question. Cause you, you always get on me when, uh, when I try to talk up any other big 10 team that isn't Ohio state. And you say that, you know, there's no, none of them are built like Texas. There's A&M nobody in the, Georgia. there's nobody in the big yeah. 10 within 10 points of Ohio state Would Texas A&M be competitive if, Texas, if they were in the Big Ten, would we be talking about it like it was a two horse race? Yes, absolutely. And, and this kind of comes back to again Oklahoma leaving the Big Twelve for the SEC, where it, you know <laughs> it's going to be a much tougher path. Is it better to be that playoffs got to expand? If the playoff expands, it's not a problem. Well, right, but we'll see where that is. In a Kevin month. Warren, and I quote: "I'm a big fan of playoff expansion, just not for another four or five years, but it's fine." Oklahoma might not be there for another four years. That's the funniest thing about, and it's like, I don't know if we want to keep talking about expansion. I know people's ears are bleeding with this stuff already. But from a tactical standpoint, um, in terms of, of revenue and prestige and you know how much money Texas A&M is bringing in, there's no question that it's the most lucrative situation for Texas A&M right now. But if you took Texas A&M and put them in any other Power Five conference, their stature in the sport would be completely different. But would they would they have this roster now if they'd never joined the SEC? Uh, I think there's a chicken egg thing here. No, we, we, uh, well, Texas is the chicken. Okay, no, so yeah, well, I think no. I mean, Sam Conn and I did the Texas recruiting confidential, and we asked high school coaches if being in the SEC matters, and to they said to a lot of players it does. And, and, and A&M's recruiting has shown that. Yeah, A&M doesn't have this roster if it's not an SEC school for the past 10 years. I think you can make that case. I wrote a story um, right when the expansion stuff broke comparing the the recruiting results from A&M and Texas once A&M joined the SEC, and they're pretty dramatically different. Yeah. So, uh, But it's not – I don't know. Yeah, they might not be built like Georgia light – but I think they would still be built more sturdily than stur- sturdily. Yeah, sturdily is a word. Absolutely. Than other programs in the Big Ten that are trying to take their place. Like I think they'd be more sturdy than Penn State. But us. but to your point of circumstance, I mean about being in the coastal like a Clemson, that's Georgia's circumstance this year with that schedule. And, and that's, right, that's right. Why now we don't know. Florida could be really good. Like if Emory Jones is is a really good quarterback, Florida still could be a challenger to Georgia in the East. But. The problem is Florida's got to play Alabama and LSU. Georgia gets Auburn and Arkansas from that side, and we don't we don't know what Auburn is. We know Arkansas is not going to be Alabama or LSU. So Georgia has the better path. Now, last year, Florida had the better path. Last year, Georgia had to go to Tuscaloosa. Florida had to play LSU, but it was a down LSU, and they managed to lose to them anyway. Yeah. Basically, the, the thesis of this is if Georgia doesn't win the national championship this year, then I'm going to type into my Twitter account 1980. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're going to become one of the 1980 people? I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm with you. This, this, I don't know if they have to win it, but they do have to make the playoff. They do have think, to be in, in contention for it at the end. What do you think would be a successful season for Georgia? Simply making the playoff or winning a playoff game? It de- well, that depends on the matchup. That depends on who you end up getting matched up with at the beginning of the play. play. That game when you ask that question about Oklahoma, it doesn't matter who Oklahoma's playing. You want to see them win a playoff game. Well, you do. 
But it, it, what if, if Georgia gets matched up with Oklahoma? Then one of them is going to. Would you rather them get matched up with Oklahoma or Alabama if you're Georgia? In the in the semis, I'd rather watch games that haven't happened already. Okay, yeah. that game probably will have happened, and probably will have just happened. And also the result, man. Other than that one overtime game, Oklahoma's playoff, you know, run. They haven't been close. They've, no. Yeah. So, now the the the, the, the yeah. one against Alabama when they had Kyler Murray was closer than people remember, but it wasn't ever in doubt because no. Alabama had three stops right away, scored off all of them, and was up twenty eight nothing. So like after that, it was. It, so, so if Georgia co- makes closer, the playoff, loses a close game to an Alabama, is that considered a success or no? I, I say no. It will not be considered a success. No. The, the, the whole point of firing a successful coach in Mark Richt and hiring a different coach in Kirby Smart was to get better results. And the and better they have. and and it, right, but the, well, the the better result they want is a national title. When, now, does it mean you're going to fire Kirby Smart? No, no. no. But it it doesn't. You're also not going to be satisfied. When Mark Richt was the head coach at Georgia, the state of Georgia was a revolving door for elite level players from Atlanta and the surrounding areas to leave the state. Like what Kirby Smart has done from a recruiting standpoint is the entire reason why there's been an elevation of the program. And like I don't know for sure. You know, maybe you guys would have a better take on who was a better on on the field coach or which coach made better tactical decisions. But there's no question which coach builds their roster better. Yeah, um, and with Kirby, remember when he was in the national championship game, that was as a second year head coach. The whole Jake Fromm, Justin Fields thing as a third year head. Now, I mean, he's he's a six year head coach now. There's that. There's really no excuses anymore for for tactical errors or for choosing the wrong player that sort of thing. You don't get a pass on that anymore. I think the general baseline expectation for Georgia, I don't know, like are Georgia fans sitting at home saying national title or bust right yes. now? Yes, yes they are. Or are people saying, we haven't been in the playoff for three years. Uh, we're playing in the really tough SEC conference. I just want to make the playoff. They are saying, if you're good enough to win the SEC, you're good enough to win the playoff. You're good you enough are. to win the whole thing. Yeah. It, but I it, think it's possible to make the playoff without winning the SEC. It is possible. Is but But here's what I'm telling you. Will Josh Brooks, Georgia athletic director, even consider doing anything about Kirby Smart if they don't win a national title this year? No, of course not. Will the majority of Georgia fans be bitterly disappointed if they don't win a national title with this team? Yes, they will. Yeah, and I, they'll be justified. I like. I, I think back to like okay, like the Detroit Tigers of like the early 2011, 12, 13, They had all those Cy Young winners, MVPs. Yep. They made the World Series once, the ALCS a couple times. And, and, and they get to these big series. And they just can't hit anymore, or something like that. Like there's at, at some point, there's nothing you can do. You just have to do it. Yeah, and that's where would the Bills fans have traded the other three Super Bowl runs, the other three AFC titles for Norwood's kick to just go in? Yep. Yes, they would have. Exactly. <laughs> it, 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 like the the talent is there. They have 19 five star players. So there's not much different that Georgia and Kirby Smart need to do other than just do it. That also might be a record. Like I, I'm going to go back and look that up, but I don't know if anybody's ever had a quarter of their roster consisting of five. Yeah, it's it's essentially almost an entire. I mean, it's not going to be spread out that way, but it you know almost just starting twenty two, and that that's wild to think about. But that's why we keep giving them the benefit of the doubt is because they have a level of talent that other programs just don't. Yeah. Also, next time you're on Twitter and you want to type it, Andy, Chris, or I, what has Georgia done? That's the answer. Yeah. That's yeah, it. and that that more than anything else puts you in a position to compete for a national title. It doesn't win it for you, 
but it, it puts you in the game. And as we've discussed, and, and as everybody knows, unfortunately, we wish it were different, but there's only about six programs in the game right now the for only, a national title. The only other team going back, I'm at 2017, that's come close to 19, five stars in a season, is um, Alabama. And they had 18 in 2017. And these years run together to me. Who won the national title in 2017? I believe that was Alabama. <laughs> that, that was the yep. That was the Alabama. That was the that year was they the beat Georgia. Georgia. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so um, I just got a text message from Britt, and she said that you have a wonderful radio voice and that she likes him. Oh, I love it. That's that's <laughs> awesome. That's the first time anybody's ever said that because I actually kind of sound like someone stepping on a duck when I talk. Have you considered doing radio before? Uh, once or twice. I hope that Britt just uh, uh, fostered your. Uh, um, ability to get a big raise from a few uh, potential radio employers. Uh, well, li- hey, listen now. Hey, listen. She knows how to make a deal. I'll we got you. Big Mayo sponsoring <laughs> us now. If if I can nearly vomit up the product and they want to sponsor us, are they really sponsoring us? Yes. Or was this they, a fake? The Duke Mayo people they, got in contact they with They actually me. paid for... Oh, they got... They got in contact with me, and then I forwarded them over to our producer, John Hayes, and they worked it out. They are paying for this. Yes, that wasn't a joke. Well, I love Duke's Mayo. <laughs> I take back everything I, I vomited last season. <laughs> I actually do love, like, I, and I'm actually bitterly disappointed that I didn't get one of the Duke's Mayo care packages. Well, I think they'll probably send you one. If well, you, I mean, everybody's opening yeah. up these mini helmets and a little, I would have actually used the mayonnaise. I, I didn't get one either, so. Uh, you're, you're not well, listen, I live in the South. I'm surrounded by mayonnaise-loving people. Duke's is their favorite. And we live in Texas where they instantly put it on all your burgers unless you tell them not to. Yeah. I mean, it, so I, I, I'm not making that up just because, you know, we have a good relationship and we, ha- we like to have fun with them on Twitter. For the people who like mayo, that is their choice. And it is almost universal. I've never heard anybody say, I got to have some other brand. I hear people a lot saying, I got to have Dukes. So listen, you know, you've made it as a podcast, gentlemen. When your most hated condiment comes to you and says, please talk about us on the air. This is, this is a milestone. And we had an in-person show, and we got to watch college football. College football is back. It's going to be amazing because we watched bad games and had fun. Imagine what it's going to be like when the games are good. Imagine what it's going to be like when UCLA and LSU finish that, kick, finish that game. Imagine what it's going to be like when you vomit up a Chiquita banana. <laughs> Oh, no, Ari. I want you to buy that banana like four days in advance. Get it nice and brown before you eat that thing. The one Will Levis was eating was very spotty. So we got, we got to get it spotty and brown. No green bananas. Because I'm not going to be buying one. I don't, I'm not going to need it. Yeah, I, th- I mean, you have to buy one. But uh. Well, when are you going to buy it? Like, you're going to have to buy it. Well, it, the bet gets paid off on the Friday following... So, so oh, so I guess you don't have to buy it until after. But so you yeah, buy it on when Sunday when when LSU wins it. by fifteen or more, you probably will have to go to the grocery store w- within the next day or so and buy one. Uh, so how long until it gets brown? Does that typically? Yeah, I think you know it take two or three days to get brown. Yeah, okay. we don't want it complete. We don't want it to look like a ripe plantain. We we want it to be spotty. There needs to still be some yellow on the peel. 
because I don't I don't want to try to eat a completely brown peel. I I have a look. I think this will go better. Take this bet. And this is one thing I wanted to correct you on, too. Okay. You said uh, to Stanford Steve last week that you had to get me to take the bet. I was on UCLA side before you added the 10 points. Dang, I could have done this for four and a half. (laughs) Yeah, because I I was like. I think it's going to be a good game. And you were like, you maybe. were crazy. And you were like, I'll give you 10 more points. Ha, have, okay. have have you thought that maybe I just wanted to sweat a little bit? Because I wouldn't have been sweating at all at four and a half points. Because like, I, you know what I think you should do? I think you should actually bet on it if you're so excited about it. But I don't know if that's, uh, if that's allowed. So, um, <laughs> you know, Chiquita Banana will be a sponsor of our podcast eventually. So, Because <laughs> one of us may be vomiting you up too. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> 